2021 signal to noise is live right now. Davis Michelson here with you in for Chip Flory with uh, Jim Wiesmeyer. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning. You're kind of breaking up a little. It might just be me, but I'm not quite sure. Well, they say breaking up is hard to do. I'm here to uh, prove them wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, uh, lots to get to this morning in the conversation, but first we've got to start with the loss of Senator Dole. Yeah, he passed away in his sleep uh, uh, Sunday. I'm not quite sure what time. Uh, what can you say? Most people uh, should know, you know, former Senator Bob Dole. I covered him for years when he was both uh, minority and majority leader in the Senate. Uh, he was a World War II uh, veteran. He served Congress from 61 to 96 uh, he was the 1996 uh, Republican nominee for president and the 76 nominee for vice president under uh, under Gerald Ford. And he, uh, he was the only person in this U.S. who was defeated both in his run for vice president and president. Uh, he served uh, the majority leadership in the Senate from 85 to 87, and then again uh, uh, in 95 and 96. And, you know, he was a minority leader for eight years. And then he also chaired the Senate Finance Committee. All that bottom line is he was a player. And uh, uh, although he could be darty at times, a sharp, you know, partisan, the key is he's one of those rare politicians, Davis, whose reputation improved once he was out of office, and that's rare. Uh, he was just a, he's, he, he, uh, he was a statesman, and all of his work for veterans and the disabled was monumental. Uh, for the ag sector, he was instrumental in working with former, uh, you know, Senator uh, you know, you know, McGovern in really boosting the food stamp program as we know it today. So he's got a good pedigree. 98 years old here, according to my notes, yes. um, from the Dust Bowl, wounded in, in battle in Italy, and then on to, uh, to serve in distinguished status in the Senate for a, for a good long time. Rest in peace, Senator Bob Dole. Yes. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on to the plethora of congressional issues that we could discuss. I'll turn it over to you. Where do you want to... Where do you want to begin with that list, Jim? Okay, I think we're going to bring up, I'm on my way after this podcast, uh, Davis, I'm on my way to New Orleans to speak to the uh, rice growers. Uh, so I can't wait to speak to them. I usually do their uh, uh, annual convention. It's a good one. So I'm speaking there tomorrow. And then I'm heading on a plane uh, to go to Chicago to speak at the National Grain and Feed Association. And then after that, I head up to Fargo, North Dakota to talk to the MINDAC group. And in between, I have a virtual presentation with Compeer, uh, you know, they're a, a, a crop insurance firm. So I've got a busy week. But I How thought. Do you keep it all straight, Jim. You must have a very <laughs> highly paid assistant keeping all this together for you. It's me. It's <laughs> me. Impressive. Impressive, sir. <laughs> okay, our director, let's see if he'll. Pull up the, uh, there we go. Let's say we talk about Biden's energy policy. 
<laughs> okay, this is this is kind of what I say in my presentations, and then we're going to update it relative to the, uh, well, lack of news yet for the Renewable Fuel Standard Program. But the key here is that not just the U.S., but for the world, there's no transition plan as we go from crude oil to sustainable energy. So that's a problem with uh, leaders around the world not not uh, you know you know seeing the Verizon horizon uh, on this one uh, Davis they're they're trying to go too far too fast and we, we know we're going to need crude oil for years uh, before you even get to sustainable energy. So that's one key and I hope that changes. I hope that changes. Before we move on, um, there have been, I don't know, suggestions that 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 issue itself might be more about optics than it is about um, an, an actual progression of energy use. You know, we we want to be the first ones to get there, and so we're going to take these drastic measures and we're going to slash and burn our way to get there. But that's just not going to serve the process. Well, tell that to Texas producers. You remember when they had the free fall uh, in the prices and then they surged and then uh, you, you you need a plan to go from A to B when you're going to such a significant change in, in uh, uh, energy policy. And this is what the group of seven should have been talking about the last few years. It's one thing to hold climate change conferences, Davis, but you you have to have a game plan. And that's what I see the difference between not only the U.S., but around the world. We don't have the leaders that we had before that thought through things. And I think this is showing, you know, when, and then as far as Biden's domestic policy, he came in initially, he Right away, he said no to the Keystone XL pipeline. He he limited offshore drilling. Uh, the fracking is just not near where it was before. And then when the uh, uh, crude oil prices started to rise, he begged OPEC Plus to increase production, not right. not looking at the U.S. And of course, they said no to Biden. And then that's when he started to tap the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and we've talked about that before. That's a Band-Aid approach. Mm -hmm. So we're going through some of these missteps. And and then, of course, with energy policy, as for the ag sector, the Renewable Fuel Standard Program, it's a laugh. It's a laughing matter to many. It's sad to the stakeholders of why it's taking so long to get these uh, mandated levels out and other decisions that the uh, EPA needs to do. Now, the the it's gonna it's so called it's gonna be announced sometime this week. We had the rumors again. Reuters report, Bloomberg reported uh, that EPA again briefed uh, at least a few senators on this. USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack talked about this on Friday, and he basically confirmed what we've been saying at, at, on Pro Farmer, on the podcast, on AgriTalk, that he's holding off some of the details of the $700 million in COVID aid to the biofuel sector until the official announcement of the RFS you know, decisions. We suspected this all along. And mm -hmm. he's also mentioning the, what, about a billion dollars in, in biofuel sector aid that's embodied in the uh, uh, long 
a way to now build back better, uh, you know, program or, you know, or I should say proposal that may not even see a vote yet this year. That all depends on Senator, uh, you, you know, Joe Manchin. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've got, uh, let's hope decisions are going to come this week, okay, on the RFS. We're, and I think they're packaging this because I, the, the corn-based ethanol industry is not going to like some of the initial, uh, you know, mandated levels. They could like the level for 2022, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's not going to please anyone. Uh, so and why well, it's taken this long is beyond me. And is that the idea with giving more details on the distribution of that $700 million in assistance to the industry that volumes for 2020, excuse me, and 21 um, retroactively possibly lower? That's the whisper. Yeah. Uh, but then restored again for 2022. So is it the idea that, well, yes, we're going we're gonna to lower those volumes, but here's this. Uh, yeah, this this is he'll flesh out the details of the seven hundred million dollars. But Vilsack said Friday. Now this is going to the uh, uh, to to the not to farmers. It'll go to the uh, industry participants. He wanted to make that clear. But of course, they buy the feedstock from the farmers. Corn, right. corn. Uh, in in the case of renewable diesel, for, you know, soybeans, uh, 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 etc. You know, soybean uh, oil. And and that was my next one. The the mega change that I think that's going on in the industry is renewable diesel. And so that'll be, everybody's focused on what the mandate level will be for, uh, you know, corn-based ethanol, you know, the, the, uh, traditional feedstock but i'm the the player the traders are telling me they want to see what epa has in store for biodiesel and both renewable diesel because that is really uh, you know you know kicked off here primarily as a result of california's carb uh, their uh, you, you'll push for for biofuels, and now we have other states, which I call wannabe states: Oregon, Washington, that is probably will go the California way. So this is going to be an increasing use of the uh, you know soybean sector for renewable diesel to such an extent they're going to have their own food versus fuel debate in in the coming months or years. What's your guess on you on the RVOs? Is it going to be a couple of days, or uh, have we got a few more weeks to talk about this yet? <laughs> uh, well, they're saying the, the press is going to have to, you know, you know, penetrate this issue. If it's not a, if it's not announced this week, they they should get a little upset because the signals EPA was given again that it'll be out very soon. Well, come on, very soon. It's not imminent, but very soon is at least within a week. So. We're going to see. OK, but but okay. that's really kind of a broad brush on the energy thing. Uh, you know, uh, if we have any questions from, you know, listeners, I'm, I don't see anything coming. How is WIP Plus going to work for dairy as far as indemnity? Uh, we don't know yet. Yet, uh, Remember that WIP Plus will be eligible for 2020 and 2021 uh Ag disasters, uh, including the you know you know dairy and and livestock industry, uh, we're awaiting the regulations. Now, Vilsack has signaled to us and others that the regulations could come out by the end of this year. 
Now, the push is on to make the payments this year. I will be very surprised if the payments are going to uh, come out. But what I think is important for dairy, it's really going to be the, the milk, the, the lost milk as a result of, uh, you, know, you know, COVID uh, or whatever. Uh, so they'll put a, a, a factor onto that. But what's significant for dairy is they'll have a much higher payment cap under this program, I think it's $900,000 than, than other, you know, programs. So that is a key uh, right there. So what I just said is WIP Plus is coming. USDA is writing the regs primarily because Congress once, once uh, told them, instructed them to make it simpler. We're going to see if it's simpler and they want to accelerate the payments. And apparently that's hard to do because they're working on the regs now. Okay. I hope that answers your, your question, uh, you know, Jason Felling. Okay. Now let, let's go to the list of uh, lingering issues. If we could, yes. you know, you know, bring up that. Okay. Uh, now fiscal year 2022 spending last week, we saw the can kick down uh, the, the road till February the 18th. So at least we're not going to have a shutdown of the government. I didn't think that was going to happen, but, so they'll have they'll have more time to cuss and discuss what they want to do for fiscal year 2022. The Republicans like deferring this because until that happen until they have an actual spending bill rather than a a, a, a stopgap measure, uh, programs continue at what they were funded at in fiscal year 2021. So it's kind of putting a governor on spending. Now what has not been widely reported is that during their extension to February the 18th, there was no waiver of what we call statutory pay as you go. Now, I don't want to get too wonky, but if that is not settled later on, which I think it will be, but if it's not, we're going to have what's called sequestration cuts ahead for some farm programs. Uh, that's just the way the legislation goes. Now, crop insurance, food stamps, uh, conservation repro uh, programs are exempt because you can't cut across contracts. So, so are commodity loan programs, but the PLC and ARC and, and livestock disaster and WIP and some conservation programs would be subject to across the board cuts. We don't know the percentage. This is why watch farm groups start lobbying to get a waiver for this. I think they'll be successful, but at least they have enough time to do that. Um, as far as the debt limit, uh, we're spending money. Uh, the uh, Commerce Secretary, Janet, uh, the Treasury <laughs> Secretary, Janet Yellen, has says the, the drop dead date uh, in which the U.S. Uh, may default is December the 15th. I think that's a bit soon. Private analysts say we could go into January, but you don't want to fool around with this one. The leaders in the Senate, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer from New York, Mitch McConnell, a Republican from uh, Kentucky, are talking, and they're trying to find the right vehicle and the process in order to get this issue finally resolved. Whether or not they'll suspend the debt limit or increase it is still up in the air. So it, it keeps coming back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any any comments on the debt limit or I don't I don't think so. It just it seems like an issue that every once in a while comes up and then we sort of discuss and discuss it and it's a whole thing for a few months and then it sort of goes away. Yeah. <laughs> 
have, have I got the right feel on what you might call the seasonals? Yes. Yes. Debt limit discussion? yes. And see, the initial debt limit was designed to control spending, but it's moved mm -hmm. away from that. And this is why people say, look, uh, let's change the process so we don't have to go through with this. But, you know, lawmakers from both political parties use this as leverage to say, okay, I want this. If I don't get this, I'm not going to vote for this debt limit, either increase or suspension of the debt limit. So it's kind of a, a handy uh, must-have issue that uh, lawmakers can attach on. But if you mm -hmm. were reasonable and wanted to get other things done, you would, you would just uh, – absolutely don't have a debt limit because they're not, you know, you know, they're not honoring it anyway. They just keep spending. So that's where we are on that issue. Uh, sooner or later, we're going to have to deal with the debt. That's a whole other uh, issue, but we're, we're, well, that's, that's the thing that it concerns me to not have a debt limit. That seems very irresponsible and just leaves the door open for all sorts of financial economic issues down the road. I can't argue against that if they'd honor that because sooner or later we're going to have to deal with the debt uh, because it has not been limited, okay? Right. So, but that's going to come later rather than sooner. As far as the BBB, the Build Back Better, it, it depends. No matter what you hear or read, it depends on one person. I think one person, Senator Joe Manchin, the centrist Democrat from West Virginia. Now, I... I think what he probably is going to do is insist that this be punted until 2022 to see if we still need some of the provisions in the Build Back Better. Uh, I think that that's his best approach. Uh, if 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 the, yes, if the final price tag is 1.75 trillion, he may be pressured uh, by his. Uh, Democratic colleagues to say, hey, uh, go along with this because you said uh, you wanted to drop it from the original 3.75, you know, you, you know, three and a half trillion down to 1.75 trillion. But uh, I don't know whether he'll go that way or, or cave uh, or just mm -hmm. punt it. Uh, the mansion that I know would just insist on punting this until 2022, until we know more about the economy, inflation, uh, uh, other aspects. He doesn't like some of the provisions in there on child care. Uh, basically, the government wants to take over child care. That's how I read the language with all the, mm -hmm. the you know, money they're, they're pouring through on it. And uh, of course, some of the energy provisions in the Build Back Better, he doesn't like at all. So, Watch what Senator Manchin says and does. And I've got some of the dates here. December 15th is that debt limit reached, according to J Janet Yellen. Schumer has set a target date, which means it's just a target. Uh, Congress usually uh, you know, doesn't meet them, uh, for the Build Back Better to be voted on before they leave for Christmas. December 31, we haven't talked about it, but it's a major you know, defense bill, and I think eventually that will be passed. And at the end of the year, child, some child cash payments expire, and I don't see any problem there. Okay. 
Uh, clear Very as good. mud. We've got a question. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate the info. A whip plus is mud. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. We need the formula. We need the to see what changes, if any, they in the operation of whip plus versus what we just went through. And you you know that it took them a year or two just to get those payments out. So they for 2019 and 2018. So uh, yeah, it uh, the concern is that we're we're seeing what plus each year now this is ad hoc disaster program and that has some people not all in the crop insurance industry a little nervous because you have some lawmakers who don't understand ag disasters say well what do we need crop insurance program for if we keep having this disaster uh, program each year called whip plus uh, you can explain that but it's hard to put in a sound bite. So, so that's something sure. to watch for for the future. Uh, okay. Quickly, yeah, the the, uh, the president has been uh, running around the Midwest, Minnesota, Michigan. Uh, now this week, at some point, I suppose, headed to Kansas City to talk about the physical infrastructure plan. What's his aim with these talks? Well, because they're finding out in polls, uh, Davis, that that uh, it's, it's not improving their numbers. Their approval numbers, so it's a it's a communications problem. So he's going right to the people, and and we've talked on AgriTalk before, and, and Chip has mentioned that there are a lot of good features in the in the bipartisan infrastructure framework BIF, as we call it, uh, that will help the ag sector, the throughputs, the the, the great waterway systems that we have. Improvements are needed, and now we're going to have uh, the funding. It's it, Even though it's a $1 trillion bill, $550 billion is new money, and they're going to throw it at, uh, at broadband as well, things like that. But it's needed, but it's not resonating. Now, the Wall Street Journal today has an interesting story, article. They said the problem is that people are not listening to Washington. And now that's a problem. And, and frankly, I don't blame them a lot of times. So if you're not, they're just giving up on, on the, the ways of Washington. They're frustrated. So they're not listening. That's when you lose the American public and particularly the independents. Okay. All right. Well, before we run out of time, thanks for that. Uh, before we run out of time, let's preview the next farm bill. What are your thoughts? Okay. If we can put them up and I'll just bottom line. Uh, the, the next farm bill, I'm just going to easily call, we're going to have an extension because the House is going to likely be controlled by the Republicans in 2023 after 2022 elections. I talked to uh, my friend at Cook Political Report, uh, David Wasserman, over the weekend, and his latest range for the net pickup of Republican seats in the House is anywhere from 20, they need a net gain of five to take over, from 20 to 50 so that tells you there. So why would a Republican leadership want to have a new farm bill if they think they're going to be in control again of the House Ag Committee? So it's not going to happen. But, you know, as far as the Democrats, Vilsack has already increased food stamps by a quarter trillion dollars. He did that in August. The Democrats are trying to add another 70 billion for climate and debt relief. That's part of the BBB. And so that makes a new farm bill, Davis, more than a trillion dollars 
dollar bill. And if the Republicans do come back into power, they're not going to want to spend much more money if they take over. So, so, so that's why an extension is likely, even if the Democrats retain control of Congress. And we can talk about the other issues, uh, but uh, and uh, but it, it's going to uh, be mainly just keep what you have, uh, and that usually means just go for an extension. Well, and uh, it it seems like the conservation, the food programs, a big boost already proposed. Um, nutrition, an even bigger slice of that farm bill um, price tag. There, um, what do you make of all that? Well, it's really a nutrition bill. Uh, on the edges, you have the, 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 the Title I is really the farmer, you know, a package as far as the safety nets. And mm-hmm. we're already seeing farm groups are saying, you know, we need to enhance this safety net due to the uh, high cost of production. And they're already outstripping support levels. And, and they're right there. So we, we really need a rethinking not only of the safety net, but if you don't change it too much, you have to change some certain levels. It's called inflation. It's called inflation. I don't feel like you're wild about that idea that it's a nutrition bill. But it is. I mean, you've got 90, what, 90%, 85 to 90% of it is nutrition funding. But you wouldn't be able to sell it on the House or Senate floor if it was, if it did not include a lot of money for, for nutrition. Okay, so I don't. So I just wanted to get out there that if people will try to talk about that, what's going to be in the next farm bill, but we're it's Mm -hmm. likely going to be delayed for some pretty good reasons, and that's election and who's going to be, who's going to be in control, and even if the Republicans win, we don't even know some of their players because uh, Bozeman in Arkansas on the Senate uh, Ag Committee. Uh, it may have a, a significant challenger. And then um, uh, G.T. Thompson, the now likely, he's the minority leader on the House Ag Committee, G.T. Thompson, a, a good guy from Pennsylvania. Uh, with redistricting in Pennsylvania, there's a question mark about him. So you can see uh, what we don't even know who the players may be. So that usually tells me that they'll punt and have an extension right now. When we're talking about that enhanced safety net for farmers and farm groups are talking about um, the high cost of production, obviously production costs for the coming uh, crop year are, are going to be exponentially higher than they were just in the most recent years. Uh, and that's that's a shock to the, to the farm profitability system. Um, if we weren't seeing that shock, would we still be talking about an enhanced safety net? Uh, I think you would relative to what prices have been uh, and will probably continue to be higher than the last, uh, say, 10-year average. And so if you increase uh, um, the the old type target prices and uh, loan rate levels, uh, that's not going to cost as much money because it depends on what what Congressional Budget Office season average price forecast is going to be. But there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of uns- uh, a lot of uh, fear, if you will, now about what farm income will be in 2022. Now, over the last few years, I've seen at this time the same uh, you worry, uh, and we saw last year how. 
almost everyone was too low, very low, on their farm income projections. They just didn't see the price run up uh, coming for a, for a host of uh, ag commodities in both the crop and the livestock sector. And uh, so they were wrong, even the so-called, quote, experts. And at Pro Farmer, we thought at the time that they were too somber. Now they're in the same boat that they hope that there won't be a, down, a dramatic downturn in prices, but the fear is there. The fear is there. Okay. And the, the last bullet here on this, on this chart, the most controversial parts of a farm bill debate is usually the amendments or policy writers that are attempted. And I see some climate labels, livestock marketing is always an issue. Uh, they'll want to prohibit foreign ownership of U.S. farmland. There'll be attempts and there could be other surprises. That's as far as amendments. And that's what you got to worry about. And that's why an extension is, is maybe a better approach uh, because you then you don't have to go through this avalanche of people who want to attack the uh, 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 the uh, uh, certain provisions of the of the farm bill. R I remember years ago, decades ago. Now this is how the sugar program was lost. At that time, uh, it was mm. through an amendment, and uh, the sugar, you know, growers need their, you know, program for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. Dairy policy. I don't know where dairy policy is going. Reason. Uh, we've got a very myriad industry, the small to medium size to larger producer, and one size does not fit all. I mean, you don't have to talk to many dairy producers to figure that out. And I think there's increasing division within their various groups. They won't say it publicly as far as what uh, uh, ag policy should be relative to dairy, because the larger producers basically say they're, the, the uh, safety nets don't uh, touch them uh, because mm -hmm. of the payment caps. So a review should be looked at on payment limitations to to get more people in the fold relative to a safety net. But that's controversial in and of itself, too, Davis. Quickly, just a few seconds. What are you looking for this week? Well, this week we have a wise Steve report uh, Thursday. It's really going to look on the foreign side to see if some of the demand and, and production uh, estimates to see many changes. And Because we've got wheat continues to lead the way in the ag commodity markets in the U.S. I can't mm -hmm. think of a time in my 50-year career that for a consistent time, Wheat led the way. I mean, and I'm going to North Dakota uh, to a MINDAC conference. So I'm going to talk sugar, but I know there's a lot of wheat producers up there. So I'm going to hear, I'm going to hear about these wheat prices and what they're going to do about it. Take part in the victory dance up there. That sounds like a good time. Yes. And also this week, we <laughs> should get an official announcement, Davis, from the White House that they're going to be a diplomatic distance uh, from the uh, Olympics in China. They're not going to tell athletes not to participate, but there's the growing issue between the U.S. and I think Western allies and China. I, 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 you know, if, if I have one biggest fear, okay, it's what happens between uh, China and Taiwan. I have very good China watchers that tell me that within 2022, by the end of 2022, China's going to do something uh, to settle, in their viewpoint, the Taiwan issue. Because, this is what our China watchers tell us, 
they think Biden and his team in foreign policy are weak, and they don't think that they'll respond that aggressively. So they may make a move some way so how. I'm not saying an invasion, but if that were to, to, to happen, the U.S. would have to retaliate. And my fear for ag is that it comes right back at, look at all the products we're sending over to China. Dairy, soybeans, corn, sorghum, milo, uh, meats, and things like that. Uh, So these are heady issues. And yes, it's a wild card. But yes, it's a black swan. But Xi Jinping, the leader of China, has consistently said he doesn't want another generation to have to deal with Taiwan. So if you have a country thinking that uh, Biden is weak because of uh, Afghanistan, because of the energy price situation, because of our open border, uh, and if China fears that the Republicans will come in and win in 2024, there's their timeline to do something about Taiwan. Uh, They're also looking at uh, Russia. Uh, they're amassing, uh, Putin is amassing over 100,000 troops. I think by the time he gets it done, it'll be 175,000 troops in Ukraine. Oh, yeah, it's serious time. So I would be remiss if I, did, you know, I love good news, but I'm, I'm really nervous sure. at this time period right now, geopolitical concerns. And I haven't even talked about North Korea and Iran. So if you want some right. worries, just look at the geopolitical side. Let's hope it settles down. Uh, yes. Tuesday, uh, um, our President Biden is going to speak with Putin. So let's hope they they calm down the, the current rhetoric from both sides. So th- sure. these are these are big, heady issues that I had to bring up, Davis. Here, here. Yeah. Uh, speaking of other issues, did the Fed wait too long to taper? Now do they go too fast the other direction? China adds stimulus to its economy. We didn't even talk about inflation. So many things on the burner this week. I'm afraid we just don't have time for any of them. Well, I'll just bottom line this one. Janet Yellen was wrong, our Treasury Secretary, (laughs) but from using transitory, she backed off. Using the Omicron thing as a scapegoat, it wasn't that. Uh, To the Fed Chairman, Jerome J. Powell last week said, no longer will we use transitory it's come back and he also got into the uh covid you know, you know situation yeah they did wait too long to start tapering uh they shouldn't they shouldn't have been buying uh the uh, basically real estate bonds uh mm-hmm. and now the fear that's being expressed in the market is today you had china uh, actually do some stimulus measures where and look at the us uh, we're going the other way. Uh, we're t- accelerating the tapering now. The concern in the marketplace, in the financial markets, is that Jay Powell, as chairman of the Fed, may make a policy mistake. Now that he may accelerate too fast, because he should have done it before, and or what is what is the Fed's timeline for actually increasing interest rates? I don't think that they're nearly as uh, 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 as aggressive in wanting to raise interest rates as some of the people are telling him. But if he were, and if this economy t- dips down, that's a Fed policy mistake. And and that's what's kind of being discussed in the marketplace today, Davis. Very good. Well. 
Jim, we'll let you go. I appreciate uh, appreciate the conversation. Appreciate your insights. Uh, have a great week, and uh, and we'll talk to you again uh, next week. Next week. Okay. Uh, thank you All very right, much. Thanks for, sure. thanks for tuning in, everyone. Signal to noise, December 6, 2021. Keep watching for those signals, and we'll see you.